Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, my guests are Gold Loopers Scott and Karen Duvall, who are joining us once again. They are now um, the proprietors of Capable Cruising. And our topic today is a little bit kind of all over the board, but I get a lot of requests from listeners uh, to do a podcast on different things that each by themselves really wouldn't be enough to cover in a podcast. It would just take a few minutes. So I've kind of combined a lot of those things that I get asked. And Scott and Karen, as, as Gold Loopers and Long Distance Cruisers, are going to give you their thoughts on these seemingly random questions, but all about uh, how to prepare for the loop. And almost a lot of them have to do with daily life on the loop. So that's what we'll be talking about today. Before we get started, as usual, I like to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And Scott and Karen with Capable Cruising are also a sponsor of AGLCA, so we thank you both for that, and welcome back to the podcast. Well, thank you, Kim. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. We're happy to be back. Where are you joining us from today? We are at Kent Narrows, which is on the Chesapeake Bay. And that you're aboard your, your own boat today, so um, getting her ready to, to go? Yes, we are. Yeah, looking forward to uh, uh, starting cruising on our new-to-us boat. Excellent. Well, and, and as I said in the intro and as uh, the three of us have discussed, we're just going to kind of bring you a, a bunch of questions and things that uh, some of our newer loopers or still planning for the loops, things people wonder about that it's hard to make an entire podcast out of. So we'll we'll take them kind of one at a time. Um, and one question that comes up repeatedly, and we see it in the forum, is, first of all, do you need a dinghy for the Great Loop? And I know that you two are actually in the market for one, so I'm thinking your answer to that is probably yes. But tell us about the need for a dinghy on the Great Loop, and also, if you do need one, what kinds might you suggest for different people? All right. Well, I guess you could do the do the loop without a dinghy. Um, there is an argument for, uh, you know, as a piece of safety equipment, some way to get off your boat without actually getting in the water. Um, as you know, we're kind of advocates of uh, being out at anchor and exploring, and the dinghy lets you take advantage of what these areas have to offer um, to explore and those kinds of things. Uh, the other thing dinghies do is they allow you to uh, um, possibly go shopping, uh, you know, provision, uh, those types of things, uh, besides just the exploring and the fun. It allows you to take a mooring ball at a marina and still get into the marina and uh, use their facilities. So we, we really think a dinghy is almost a, a must-have for us. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of dinghy did you use for your Great Loop? Uh, we used a, a rigid in, uh, rigid hull inflatable, often called a rib uh, fiberglass with the, the you know inflatable pontoons around the side which uh, has some advantages. You, you, you have the rigid hull, which makes it easier to row and, uh, uh, you know, just goes through the water nicer. But then uh, you have the, the soft side, so you're not damaging your boat. Mm -hmm. 
So, go ahead, Karen. Uh, sorry, the rigid hull also allows you to pull your dinghy up onto um, the beaches and you're not um, concerned about damaging a soft shell, a soft hull um, for a regular inflatable. Mm-hmm. So besides a rib, um, what are some of the other types of dinghies that you see out there a lot on the loop? Um, we've seen some that are uh, strictly inflatable. They have an inflatable floor, and uh, some of those are pretty nice also. Uh, the, the advantage is lighter weight, and they can also be rolled up um, and, and stowed away. Uh, we have seen some folding-type boats used, and also just uh, rigid boats, a regular uh, fiberglass or wood hull, um, and they all have some advantages and some disadvantages. Now, as you said, um, if you're planning to anchor, a dinghy is kind of a must. Um, where, first of all, tell everyone what type of boat you did your loop on and where on that boat did you store your dinghy so that it was easy to use? Ours was a, a 390 main ship, and we had davits on the swim platform that kept it, you know, hung just above the water. Um We've seen uh, many, the, some that hang them higher, uh, kind of at the second level, the, the flybridge level. Uh, there are tilting tip-up davits, um, lots of different options. Uh, just even up on top of your flybridge or on, on top of the roof um, with a, a crane. Uh, we just recommend that it be, you know, pretty easy to to uh, deploy and mm-hmm. retrieve. Uh, that way you'll use yeah, absolutely. If you if it's hard to to get to, those are the people that I hear had a dinghy and, and almost never used it. Was that it was a challenge to deploy and retrieve it. So of course that's going to make you less apt to use it. Um, we've kind of been running under the idea in this discussion that the dinghy is necessary and almost mandatory. Um, and as I said, you two anchored a lot. There are people who almost exclusively tie up at marinas on the loop. Um, for them, would you say a dinghy is maybe not necessary? Right. Not as, uh, you know, not a must have, just might mm-hmm. be kind of a nice have sort of thing. Uh, an- another piece that we'd use our dinghy for is to go out and get our, our need for speed taken care of. Uh, <laughs> you know, after eight miles an hour all day, it's kind of nice to get out and get a little wind in your hair. <laughs> right. So um, can, kind of continuing with that, uh, I've spoken to a lot of loopers who were fans of paddle sports and basically used either a paddleboard or a dinghy, I'm sorry, a paddleboard or a kayak as their dinghy. Now that might, wouldn't work for everyone, surely. Um, But if you're not anchoring out all of the time, and perhaps maybe if you don't have a pet to get to shore, um, if you're tying up at a marina when you plan to provision, uh, do you think it's a a reasonable thought that uh, a kayak or a paddleboard could serve as a dinghy for getting in and out to a marina if you're on a mooring ball for a day or two or to go exploring. Um, does that seem like a reasonable thought for certain types of cruisers? Yeah, for the right people, it, it would. If if you are an avid paddler, um, you know, paddleboard or kayaker, then it would be reasonable. But if you've never done that, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend uh, expecting to be able to use that uh, mm-hmm. as your transportation if you will okay so lots to think about you know a lot about the dinghy is going to depend on your cruising style so for those who are thinking about that keep that in mind let's shift a little bit now Um, one of the questions I get on a fairly consistent basis from people who have not been out on the loop is what clothes do I need to bring 
And the question is kind of twofold. Um, you know, first of all, what kind of clothes are appropriate? You know, you don't need to bring your tuxedo. Um, so what types of clothing, how much clothing, and also, you know, kind of how much cold weather gear do you need? So let, let's talk about what you two would have aboard for a loop. Well, we um, kind of stuck with a comfortable clothing that's more of an outdoor um, active type of wear. Um, you're, you're busy, you're on the deck, you're moving, you, being comfortable is really important. Um, we stuck with fabrics that were um, high, kind of the high tech or at least synthetic rather than the cottons. They, you're, you're wet often, either you're, either you're washing your boat or it's raining or you're just, you know, get splashed or whatever. And, um, those fabrics seem to dry much faster than, than jeans. If you've had a pair of jeans that are soaking wet, you know how long it takes them to dry. So sticking with a high tech kind of synthetic fabric is, is important. And, um, they, they also wick moisture and help keep you cool when it's hot out. And the fact that you're chasing the weather, you're going to be in warm weather more often than you're going to be in cold weather. So we stuck with mostly, um, you know, a lot of shorts and, and, uh, and t-shirt type material or clothing. Um, we also had some um, long sleeve shirts that are that lightweight material for sun protection. If, it, if you've really been out in the sun a lot, sometimes having that protection and not worry about the sun um, is important as well. And also considering um, the color we found very important. Uh, we started off with our regular clothes and found that the, the navy blues and the black shirts we're not very comfortable. They got rather hot rather quickly. So as far as the, the warm weather, um, that's kind of, you know, that if you have a couple bathing suits, maybe a light sundress or a dress that you could put um, um, like a sweater or something over if you're going to go out to dinner. Hats with a brim are important. But Considering the people are going to be maybe stalled out because of the um, the lock closures, they may have to consider having more cold weather um, gear on board. And with that, I would say layers are important. I wouldn't bring a big, heavy winter coat. Um, more important it would to have would be a very good foul weather gear, a really good um, raincoat. Then you can put a few layers underneath and that foully will um, be both your windbreak and warmth. And uh, and then just the hat and, hat and gloves. So that kind of um, in a nutshell is about all we took. So you two are, are what we call all in. You don't have a dirt home anymore. Um, you live aboard, truly, uh, truly aboard. So you probably have more clothes aboard at this point than maybe somebody doing the loop would need to have because you have everything aboard. Um, but just for doing the loop, you know, for example, if you just kind of stick with the idea that you're probably wearing shorts and T-shirts almost every day, how many shorts and how many t-shirts would you suggest are needed? And maybe another way to ask that is, is how frequently can you expect to be able to do laundry? 
All right. We, uh, I think we, we kind of tried to be able to have enough clothes for a week or a little bit more than that. Uh, we, we try to get to a marina uh, about every week to make sure we can get the laundry done, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And you are always close to a store if, if there's something you need that you don't have. That's true. And maybe a little more than a week, you know, um, if you're, you want to have, especially like the shirts, just because the, um, if you're working in the engine room, it's hot. Or if you're washing the boat and you get sweaty, you might want some fresh clothes. So, but I would say we found that we could get to the laundry at least every week and um, maybe, you know, have enough for 10 days or so. The other thing, Kim, I wanted to mention was shoes um, or footwear. Um, having non-skid, non-marking shoes for when you're on board um, is really important. Deck shoes, and I want to make a special note about flip-flops. Having something like a Sperry flip-flop, something that's made for boating, that has that non-skid bottom is very important. Um, we started off in the loop and brought some inexpensive um, flip-flops with us and found they were extremely slippery when they were wet. So those went into the trash. Um, they weren't even good for for uh, shower shoes. They were so slippery. <laughs> um, and we also had some water shoes um, that were pretty secure that we were able to uh, use when we were swimming. And sometimes the bottom's not real comfortable on your feet. And that was another thing. So, you know, this probably three, four pairs of shoes you're going to want. Um, for just for everyday kind of things. Um, now, the high heels is probably no place for them that you would even be appropriate unless you're going out to um, a fancy place uh, for, for the being on board the boat. And, but, you know, if you want to dress up and, and bring some others, that's fine. But, you know, honestly, I stayed in my duck shoes most of the time or my flip-flops and, and was, and, 90% of the places you go on the loop, or more than that, um, you're fine in deck shoes and flip-flops. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite uh, gold, actually platinum looper ladies um, is famous, and this was several years back, but she was famous for having, I think it was upwards of 20 pairs of shoes aboard her boat. Only person <laughs> I've ever met that had that many. Um, but that was her thing. And that's what made her comfortable to do the loop. She wanted to be able to wear whichever pair of shoes she felt like. Um, so they made room for it and, and she probably had to forego some other things, but her shoes were the things she wanted. So she did it that way. And I love that about her <laughs> because she kept what was important to her. Um, so let's talk a little bit about fitness. Um, because I'm sure most of our listeners probably at this point have heard the joke that when you come back from the loop, you need Alcoholics Anonymous and Weight Watchers because you're eating and drinking <laughs> a whole lot along the way. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it's a pretty active lifestyle. But we do have a lot of people who like to keep fit, and that's their main concern is how are they going to keep their gym routine, which is a challenge on the loop. So what are some of the ways uh, you see people making sure they're getting their exercise in? Well, a lot of it is, uh, you know, like you said, it's an active lifestyle. You're going places, you're walking quite frequently, uh, farther than you might normally walk, uh, if you want. Uh, biking, we, we t- took bikes with us, and uh, some parts of the loop we biked uh, quite quite a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. We found that, that helped out. Uh, we, don't, we don't actually do the gym, uh, you know, gym memberships and that sort of thing, but we do know loopers that have. 
Um, you know, if you're going to be in one place for any length of time, we, we've known of some that have joined a, a local gym for a monthly uh, fee. And, and others, some gyms will allow you to just drop in for a day or, you know, a timer two or three, um, you know, at a, a nominal fee. And also, I know a lot of people will, I've heard that will do yoga. And um, because it doesn't take up a lot of, of space. Now, I would say that a lot of women prefer to do yoga. However, men do a lot of yoga. And they just don't know it. Yeah, we, we we jokingly call it boat yoga down in the engine room. <laughs> in unusual positions, trying to work on things and that sort of thing. That's that's my boat yoga. There lots you go. Of stretch, <laughs> lots of stretching and <laughs> mm-hmm. um, All right. you you had also mentioned uh, uh you know, paddle sports, uh, yeah. uh the paddle boards and kayaks. I mean if if that's something that you do now um, by all means, if you have room on your boat, bring it. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity for uh, paddling, either paddleboard or kayak. Yeah, we had paddleboards on board, and um, for our the part of when we started the second loop, that we used them actually quite a bit and, and enjoyed it quite a bit. Okay, so those are some great tips. Um, Let's take a pause right here and listen to a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion. Um, I want to talk a little bit about things like uh, mail and packages and prescriptions, uh, because those are questions we get quite frequently as well. So we'll be back in a moment. Did you know that every mile of the Great Loop is covered by both the Waterway Guide and Skipper Bob? Use them to plan your Great Loop cruise and learn about the places you can visit. In the cockpit, important navigation info is always ready at your side, plus marina listings, anchorages, services, and so much more. Each Skipper Bob and Waterway Guide is updated yearly, and waterwayguide.com and skipperbob.net keep you current with navigation alerts, cruising news, fuel prices, and special deals. With the Waterway Guide and Skipper Bob at the helm, you'll always be on course. Order yours today at the AGLCA ship store at greatloop.org. Waterway Guide and Skipper Bob are proud sponsors at the Admiral level with AGLCA. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guests today are Scott and Karen Duvall of Capable Cruising. They are gold loopers, and we are talking about all those little tips, uh, the questions that wannabe loopers have, uh, and it's it's a little bit of a kind of a mixed bag today. None of these on their own are really enough to make a full podcast out of. So we thought we'd address some of these frequently asked questions about life aboard, essentially, is what we're covering. So Scott and Karen, a big concern for a lot of people is mail. Um, and when I say mail, most of that concern is probably more packages, things that, you know, items that they're having delivered from Amazon or wherever else that they need to be able to get aboard. So how do people handle that on the loop? Well, um, we found that just about every marina we've been to has been very accommodating as far as having packages shipped. If you know you're going to be at a marina, you know, a few days in advance, uh, you can give them a call, make sure it's all right, and get their address, find out how they want uh, something addressed. And like I said, I don't think we had any marina that wouldn't accept a package for us. So when we got there, it was there for us. And it as a very apparent that that is what many boaters do. You'd go in, there'd be all these little packages. Oh, the packages over there. Go find yours. 
Well, and I think Amazon Prime has helped with that substantially for a lot of people because instead of ordering something and trying to figure out where you'll be a week from then when it shows up, it's a little bit easier to know a few days out where you're going to be. So is that something that you have found helpful? Yes, Amazon Prime is great. Now they've got the uh, uh, a newer thing we haven't used yet where you can pick the day that it's delivered also. Huh. You know, you can also postpone it until you get somewhere if, if mm-hmm. necessary. Any other tips? I want to point out for packages as well. Um, if it's something that you maybe don't want to send to a marina, um, harbor hosts are also very often willing to accept packages for members, and we've accepted them a lot here at the home base in Charleston. Um, and I know lots of harbor hosts have done the same, so that's another option as well. But any other uh, tips for general mail or for packages? Yep, you you can have things uh, sent general delivery uh, to a post office. And um, one thing you do need to know about sending general delivery, and we learned this the hard way, is um, whoever the package is addressed to must be the person who picks it up, and you must have ID with you. So we rode our bikes to pick up a package and didn't have our driver's licenses with us, and that was a bit of a problem. We rode mm-hmm. back there twice. <laughs> so that's a a little bit of a hint, but just general delivery to a post office in the area you can do also. So you just basically address it general delivery uh, post office with the city, state, and zip, and that's all you need to do? Yep. That's correct. With that's your name correct. on it, of course. Um, yep. You know, we, we kind of talked a little bit about uh, how fast things can be delivered these days, which certainly helps. Um, just what about groceries? Have you used any of the services? I know here in Charleston, we have lots of different services that will deliver groceries same day. Have you utilized any of those aboard? We did use um, one, just one time. Um, we It was through the store itself and it worked out very well. Um, there was a couple of questions like, she did actually text me and said, is this the right thing? And I don't know if they're all that accommodating or not, but um, they were very, very good about that she wanted to actually she i was going to take delivery right up in the parking lot and she wanted to i think she just wanted to come see our boat but anyway (laughs) she delivered it right on right onto the boat for us (laughs) yeah and i'm starting to hear that from more and more loopers that you know you're arriving somewhere without ground transportation or if maybe you have a bike but you have a lot of groceries you want i'm hearing more and more people using those services and really finding it helpful um with them bringing it right to the boat uh it's it's just it's such a different world doing the loop now than it was even just a few years ago because you've got those grocery services you have Amazon Prime, um, you've got Uber and Lyft so it's just made a lot of those living aboard things so much easier. Um, but one of the things that people still struggle with a bit I think is prescriptions. So tell us about that. And, and anytime this comes up at a seminar, um, there's always exceptions. And I know you can't possibly address all of those because you're not experts in the healthcare field. But tell us in general what happens when you need to get a prescription refilled and you're on the loop. Well, we have used um, Walgreens and um, because they're so widely spread, and I know that people have used um, things, you know, brand names like Rite Aid and some use Walmart as well, but there really aren't as many Walmarts as there are Walgreens or Rite Aid, things like that. Um, There's another one, CVS, I think. And 
what what happens with that is I would recommend that you ask your doctor to write your prescription for a 90-day supply and see if your insurance will accept a 90-day prescription. If they don't, I would recommend that you call your your prescription provider, your insurance that provides the, the prescriptions and um, explain to them that you're going to be, you know, on a boat long term and could you get an allowance for that? And my insurance actually did allow that um, and said, yes, we'll put a note in and I, we were able to get our prescriptions for 90 days at a time. And that made a real big difference on how often we had to find a pharmacy. So sometimes you have to be a little proactive in that. Doctors tend to write them for, for 30 days, so ask for the 90 days. And then if your insurance, if you go to pick it up and the pharmacy says, no, you can't get 90 days, then call the insurance. That's been very helpful. Um, and um, there is also mail order, like if you have it mailed. I honestly find that a little harder to deal with because it's not as, Unless you're really on top of it and you know you're going to be at a pharmacy uh, or at a uh, marina, it seems like it takes a lot longer to get those than if you were to call ahead at a pharmacy and just go pick them up. So as long as you're using one of those nationwide chains, they've got your prescription on file, so there's no problems really with insurance or, or in-network versus out-of-network or anything along that line. It's just a pretty smooth process from your experience? Yeah. Yeah. Sure been very easy. You don't have to bring your insurance card every time. They've got it all on file. They have all your refills. You just have to be careful when you refill it that you're not filling it in Alabama when you're in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a problem. Um, yeah. So, And a lot of that discussion around prescriptions is really for um, U.S. citizens. We little harder for us to comment on what would happen for Canadian citizens um, since your healthcare system is different than ours, as well as anyone coming from overseas to do the loop. Um, if you can get the three-month supply, uh, Karen and Scott, then that really should take care of your time in Canada if you fill it just before leaving. Is that correct? Is that how most Americans going to Canada or, you know, most U.S. citizens going to Canada would do it? Yes. And Again, if you're right in the middle of your 90 days, I think if you were to call your insurance company and say, I'm going to be out of the country for, um, you know, th for three more weeks or, or another, you know, it's going to go over the time, then they are pretty good about, you know, making an exception. And mm -hmm. so uh, don't be afraid to call the insurance carrier if you're having that that issue. And I think many people just say, well, they said no, so I can't do it. Well, that's not necessarily true. All right. I think we're going to wrap it up there. We're running a little short on time. Um, I do want to put in a quick plug, though, for our next Great Loop Cruising, a guide to the Looper lifestyle seminar. Um, we have just announced the next one, and that is coming up in the Chicago area, um, November 8th and 9th, I believe is the correct dates. And uh, Scott and Karen, you'll be joining me there. Yes, we will. We're looking forward to it. Yeah, Scott and Karen will be talking about anchoring um, since they did a lot of that on the loop and a lot of uh, planners have questions about it. These seminars, we've done them in a lot of different places. It's really geared towards those who are still uh, kind of early in their loop journey, so to speak, um, early in the dreaming or the planning stage. So the first day is a Friday afternoon. We'll talk all about how to find and buy your perfect Great Loop boat. 
And then the next day is Saturday. Uh, we'll be bringing in um, several of our experts, including Scott and Karen, to talk about different parts of planning for the loop, from anchoring to um, electronics to DIY maintenance. And we also bring in some of our gold loopers, which is anyone who has completed the route. We bring in three or four of them to tell the story of their great loop uh, so that the attendees can kind of get a, an idea that everybody does do this in their own way and kind of get a little bit inspired by those who have come before them. So registration for that is open on the greatloop.org website. Just go to the events menu and you'll see a link right there for Chicago. And Scott and Karen, I look forward to actually seeing you at the, the fall rendezvous before the Chicago event, which is sold out. The fall rendezvous is sold out. Um, but I look forward to seeing you at the fall rendezvous in October and then outside of Chicago in November. I look forward to seeing you too. Yeah, I look yes. forward to seeing you. Thanks for having us on and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you both. And thanks to our listeners for joining us once again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. Uh -huh.